Okay. Well, we are going to continue this series called God's Game Plan. We are talking in part two about healed, that God wants you, this is the series today, um, God wants you saved, healed, set free, equipped, and empowered. So say these with me. Saved, healed, set free, equipped, and empowered. And that's God's game plan for your life. Last week we talked about being saved. Today we're talking about the H word, healed. God wants you healed. If you have a Bible, a smartphone Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 4 today. Bring your Bible to church. I hope that you do. And be a part of what we're talking about and read it for yourself. Luke chapter 4, if you have a Bible this morning. God wants you healed. The word for saved in the Bible, in the Greek, is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And it can be translated um, to rescue, to deliver, to, to uh, set free. It can be uh, translated to make well, but it can also mean to heal. And so today we're talking about that. God's plan for salvation is that you be healed. And he's not just concerned with your spirit being ready to go to heaven someday, but that right now in your body and in your emotions and in your mind, you can be healed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that there is healing available to every person through the name of Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that this morning? Whoa. Are we, are, are we awake this morning? Take a deep breath. All right. I mean, I, I, I'm nervous this morning. I know it's hot and I know it's heavy on you, but just throw me back a few amens when you feel so inclined. And you should have felt inclined right then. All right. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Uh, how many of you believe that God forgave, when you came to Christ, forgave all your sins? He didn't leave a couple out. He forgave them all. all right. why, don't we, why don't we believe the second part of this verse? He heals all our diseases. That means that God is able and will heal you. Right now, I know what's going through some of your minds. Right now, you're like, is this one of those churches is this is pastor going to don the white robe here, bring us up on stage, and bam, knock us over, saying in the name of Jesus, and that sort of thing? I mean, is that, is that what we've got going on up here? No. But I, I do believe that there are excesses we've seen that make us hesitant to believe that God still heals. Now, here's what the Bible says. Jesus came to heal. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Verse 24 says, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. And this is the ministry of Jesus. In fact, if you scan the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you just scan them and look at the subtext, the subheadings above all the paragraphs of Scripture, you will see the word heal or heals or healing over and over again. Jesus Christ didn't just come to make a way for your spirit to go to heaven someday. Jesus Christ came to heal. Okay, he is a healing 
God. And, and in Luke chapter 4, if you have a Bible open this morning, this is kind of Jesus' mission statement. He stands up in the synagogue on, on that Saturday afternoon. He is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah, and he says, this is what I'm all about. And here's what he says. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Read it with me here up on the screen. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. There's salvation, to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now there's a healing right there, that God wants to heal our broken hearts. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. There is such a thing as emotional healing in the power of Jesus. Uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives, uh, that's being set free. And recovery of sight to the blind, that's physical healing. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, or the better word there for oppressed, those who are bruised, those who are shattered, those who are hard-pressed in life. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus healed and healed constantly. Then you flip to the book of Acts, and what happens is the church and those who believe in Jesus, they start to heal. Peter heals. He raises the lame man on the way into the temple. Um, Paul starts to heal. He sees, he, he raises a young man from the dead, who incidentally had fallen asleep in an upstairs window while Paul was preaching, fell out the window to his death in Acts chapter 20. And Paul, because he was the preacher and kind of felt responsible for that, amen, he goes down and he heals the boy, raises him from the dead. Now, aren't you glad that I don't preach long enough to give you the opportunity to fall asleep and off your chair in dead? All right, so, but nonetheless, that God does heal. He heals through Jesus. He healed through the apostles. And then he heals through the church. In James chapter 5, James gives us a biblical doctrine on how healing takes place in the church. James chapter 5, he says, If anyone among you is sick, if anyone's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. So healing is supposed to happen in the church. Look, God has even pre-wired our bodies to heal themselves. Anybody who says that God doesn't heal doesn't even understand how our bodies work. You get a cut, what happens? Eventually, it scabs over, and the blood vessels go to work, and they do their thing, and before you know it, you're back to normal. Or you break a bone. You can break a bone completely in half. They'll reset it at the doctor's office, wrap it in a cast, and over time, the bone actually heals to become stronger than it was in the beginning. God has designed us to be healed, and God does heal, not just naturally, but He does so supernaturally. Um, here's why we get a little bit frustrated or a little bit uh, skeptical when the preacher starts talking about healing. Very simple reason. We have heard or we have seen the excesses. We have seen the excesses. Has anybody ever seen that, that excess on television that I'm talking about? You, you've probably flipped on late at night. Oh, I need some encouragement. Let me go to the Christian station. And you turn on the Christian statement, station and it's like, what on earth are they doing? And sometimes that's how it is. But you're seeing an extreme or you're hearing someone preach. And as your pastor, I have a job to protect you from the extremes. Here's two extremes. The first one's this. God doesn't heal anymore. 
Okay, that, that, that died out with the apostles, and, and so God doesn't heal anymore. I got a problem with that. First off, my problem is scriptural. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same Jesus that walked the earth, and he lives amongst the church in the people of God through the Holy Spirit, and he's not changed. So if he healed back then, guess what? He heals today. Okay? Um, the second problem I have with that is this. Why would God allow sickness to continue and healing to stop? That just doesn't make sense. That just doesn't co you know, uh, coincide with, with the God that we understand in the Scriptures. But here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This is Jesus. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are what? Healed. We are healed. Okay, so um, God does heal. And the extreme number one, God does not heal anymore, is not biblical. The second extreme is very, very dangerous. And this extreme says that God heals everyone. That God always heals. And this is so dangerous because it doesn't manifest itself out in life. You pray for a healing and nothing happens. Or you ask God to heal you and it doesn't happen. And so we can get confused. And what inevitably happens when, when we believe that God is supposed to heal everyone is someone gets blamed. And so when you believe that and you don't get healed, who's to blame? Either God who is not kind or doesn't love you enough or has looked over you this time and, or you haven't made the cut, or you're to blame. You haven't had enough faith or you've got some sin in your life or there's something wrong with you and you need to drum up some more faith and then get healed. And the Bible says that we just need faith the size of a mustard seed to see mountains be thrown into the sea. What is Jesus saying? It's not about the amount of faith that you have. It's what your faith is in, no matter the size. And so we, we, we could blame people for, for not getting healed. By the way, where does blame come from? Where did the blame game start? It started in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. As soon as sin enters the world, the blame game begins. God comes to Adam, and he says, Adam, did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat up? What does he do? He blames God, he blames Eve, the same breath. The woman you gave me, blame. And he says, and by the way, God, she was naked when she offered me the fruit. It's very hard <laughs> to say no to a naked woman offering you fruit. God turns to the woman. The God turns to the woman and says, what happened here? She says, well, the serpent that you made. I mean, by the way, blame, blame, blame. And the blame game comes from sin. And so anyone who says that you're to blame for not being healed or God's to blame for not being healed, they are playing the devil's game. It's as old as Genesis chapter 3, and we got to avoid these extremes. Okay, here's the final reality. Sometimes God heals. Sometimes God doesn't heal. I've seen God heal when I've prayed over people. I've seen it happen instantaneously. And I've seen it when I've prayed and nothing happened. And we know this from Scripture. 
Why does God sometimes heal and sometimes not heal? Here's why. To accomplish his purposes on the earth. That at the end of the day, he's God. And he knows what he's doing. Now, there's this story about Lazarus being dead. And Jesus comes to raise Lazarus from the dead. In fact, he stalls for two days so that Lazarus dies. And he comes to the tomb and he says, in front of everybody, he says, Father, I know that you hear me. I know this, but these people around me, they don't know. And so I want you to be glorified and I want you to glorify me in front of them. And I want this to happen so that you get glory. That's my paraphrase. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that Lazarus, who was dead, he comes out of the grave. And a mighty miracle has happened. I mean, somebody was risen from the dead. How cool is that? And this is very, very good news for everybody except Lazarus. Think about that. I've always felt bad for Lazarus. He had to go and die all over again. Really? I mean, who wants to die once? This guy had to die twice. And I can imagine that Lazarus comes out of the tomb, and he's just like, oh, thank you very much, Jesus. I was in heaven with God and the angels, and it was pretty good. And it wasn't, 85, it wasn't 95 degrees up there. It was a balmy 72. Okay, and so Lazarus, I'm goodness for everybody, not Lazarus. And, but nonetheless, it, God, uh, God does that. Jesus does that for God's purpose and God's glory. There's a man named Paul in the New Testament. He wrote half of the New Testament. And he had this, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. Some kind of physical ailment. Many commentators believe it was some kind of physical ailment. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12 that he prayed. This is Paul the Apostle who had healed thousands. And he prayed three times. He said, God, take this from me. And every time God said, no, I'm not going to heal you here. I'm not going to do this. And in verse, 12, uh, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this. This is what Jesus, God told him. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weaknesses. And sometimes God doesn't heal so that your testimony, as difficult as it may be for you, is that even when it doesn't go well for you, you still hold on to your faith in Christ. Now, I've got a question for you. Which is the greater testimony of faith? Is the greater testimony of faith that everything I want, God gives me, and my life goes absolutely smooth, and I've got it good, and that's why I believe in God? Or is the greater testimony of faith when things don't go your way, and life throws you curveballs, and God sometimes seems absent, and yet you hold on to your faith, and you refuse to deny Him, and you refuse to disbelieve, and you press through in unbearable circumstances. My friend, that is the greater testimony of faith. Can anybody say amen? amen. I mean, that's the reality. It reminds me of a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. Joni Erickson Tata was 18 years old. When she dove into a lake, she was a hiker, biker, swimmer, uh, uh, you know, just loved all kinds of action sports. Dove into a lake, snapped her neck, and became a quadriplegic at the age of 18. And she prayed and asked God, heal me. She went to every faith healer possible and every convention and every conference that she could possibly imagine. And the healing never came. And she was depressed, but she eventually became understanding of this is now God's 
call on her life. And she took up painting with her teeth, and she paints these beautiful pictures with her teeth as a quadriplegic. She's an inspiration to millions the world over. Because I just saw, when I mentioned her name, some of you went, yes, I know who she is. We know her. She's a giant in the Christian faith. She has written several books, and she travels the world preaching to people and raising awareness for the causes of the disabled. And so sometimes God doesn't heal for the glory of God. And I think that her testimony is far greater than it ever would have been had God healed her. Sometimes God doesn't heal. Sometimes God does heal. But he does both for his glory and for his purpose because he's God and he knows what he's doing. But here's, here's what I absolutely believe. Every Christ follower will get healed. At the resurrection, we're all getting new bodies. At the resurrection, we're getting indestructible, imperishable, unchanging, forever um, usable and productive bodies that will never spoil, never perish, never fade. And for many of you, that is very, very good news. Okay? Because some of you, you realize you have crossed the line. How many know what I'm talking about? You have crossed over. It is not uphill no more. It's downhill. And you're heading there fast. And you need resurrection worse than ever before. In fact, you need resurrection more today than you needed it yesterday. But the good news is this. You will be raised to an imperishable state by faith in Christ Jesus. Everybody eventually gets healed. That's good news. So healing takes place. Sometimes healing doesn't take place. But here's, here's a healing that I really want to spend some time with this morning. And that's emotional healing. God does desire to bring emotional healing to everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Okay? Luke chapter 4, verse 18, again, Jesus said these words. He said, he has sent me to heal the who? The broken hearted. And I think that there are millions of Christians, Christians now, who are broken hearted in their life. And your problem is not a physical uh, ailment. Your problem is an emotional ailment. And I think that in our, in our culture where medical phenomenons have taken us to the far reaches of our imagination, that there's still hurts that medicines cannot cure. And it's the hurt of a broken heart. Some of you here today, you're broken hearted. Because of something someone did to you. And in your past, there might have been an abusive father. A neglectful mother. Maybe both. Maybe there was somebody who should have accepted you and they didn't. There was someone that you put all your faith in and they divorced you. Or there was somebody who you thought would be friends with you forever and they walked out the door on you. And I believe that there are many, 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 many Christians walking through life with these emotional hurts and broken hearts because of what others have done to them. I also believe that there are many people who have a broken heart because you are crushed by the record of your life. You're broken hearted because you know you have really messed up your life. 
And you keep looking back into your past and seeing all that you did. And you feel that God could never forgive you for what you've done. And so even though you're a Christian and God has forgiven you, you refuse to let it go. And you hold on to it and you try your, you actually feel better about feeling guilty over what you did. Here's what you need to hear this morning. You've got a pride problem. I know that doesn't sound like pride, but it is. There's such a thing as false humility. And this idea that we've got to feel bad for sins that God has forgiven is actually false humility. Because what you're saying is, God, I don't believe that your judgment for sin at the cross of Jesus was enough for my sins. I think I need to pay for it a little bit more. And this is where we get the idea of penance and paying for what we've done in the past. And, 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 and maybe you've seen the extremes of this. Have you ever seen those, those marginal uh, monks or, or church, uh, I don't know if you want to call them church, but these marginal factions of faith where they will actually take whips and they will walk around and, and they, they'll beat them. It looks, it, it looks uh, you know, cavemanish of sorts and, and it's just horrible. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to make themselves feel worse for what they've done. And what they really haven't done is they haven't accepted the grace of God in their life to be enough for the forgiveness of their sins. We do this emotionally all the time. I can't possibly go to church. I, I could never go to a church because the moment that I go to a church, oh, the, the ceiling is going to cave in. There's going to be lightning striking the pastor for letting me in. I mean, something terrible. What are you doing? You are becoming a better judge than God. Because the Bible says that at the cross, God judged your sins on Jesus. And if you've received God's forgiveness through faith in Christ, He will not judge you for your sins. And what you need to do is accept the completed work of Jesus at the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and the release of your debt and know that if you are in Christ, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are placed upon Christ and you are not to hold on to them any longer. You are free from all that you've done. That's good news, but some of us were, were crushed by the weight of our sins. Some of you, you're, you're crushed by disappointments in life. You thought you'd be further along than this by now. And you're disappointed by what others have done and said to you. And some of you might even have this in your testimony. You're disappointed by Christians. And some of us, that's our case. And we think... How could they have been Christians? How could they co possibly call themselves people of God? And the reality is, is that we put misplaced faith in people rather than in God. Because people are not perfect, and no Christian is perfect, and they will disappoint us. And don't ever put any Christian on a pedestal, including me. Because I'm just a human, just like you. I remember... A couple of years ago, I think it was 2006, I had the chance to meet my Christian hero. He was a giant in the church world. All of you probably know his name, um, but you probably know his name for a scandal that happened a few years ago. And he was a giant in the Christian world. And I remember I finally went to a conference where he was preaching, and I got a chance to meet him. And I had this man on such a pedestal, I thought he was, I thought he was second cousin to the Holy Ghost. I really did. 
And I went up to him and I said, it is such a pleasure to meet you. I'm so glad. My name is Tim and I love what you said to Barbara Walters and I love what you said to that person. And, and this guy was world renowned. And I mean, he like totally dissed me. He was just like, okay. And he walked away. And I was like, what? kind of Christian giant is this guy? He's a loser, you know? And then obviously stuff came out and I realized he was a loser. But nonetheless, the fact of the matter is don't put anyone on a pedestal, including your pastor. We are all people who have frailties and inconsistencies and by grace we've been saved from ourselves. There's only one person we can put our faith in. Ultimately, it is Christ. And Christ alone. So how does God heal our broken hearts? Two things. Every single person, Christian or non, every single person needs two things. Love and acceptance. You know what you need? Love and acceptance. You need somebody to love you unconditionally for you. And you need acceptance. You need somebody to embrace you, to call you theirs, and not be ashamed of who you are. And this is the mantra of our world. Just, just we need love, but, but here's the deal. Any love outside of God's agape, unconditional, unchanging love is a poor substitute for what we truly need. We need love and we need acceptance. And when we don't get it from God, we will get it from other people. Or we will try to get it from anyone and everyone who will offer it to us. Here's a couple of big ones. The, the first way that we try to get love and acceptance is by performing. And so I will work hard and I will achieve and I will accomplish so that other people will. Wow, that was awesome. Pat you on the back. Fantastic. This is, this is one of my struggles. This is where I, I come way short. I love for people to acknowledge me and, and think that I'm, I'm good. And, and it's almost as if it's an addictive quality to my life. And, 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 and some of you, that's, that's your deal. You're hardworking. You're going after things in life because somebody didn't give you the love and affection that you needed. And someone didn't accept you for who you were. And some of you, 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 don't, you don't go after performance. You go after erotic love. And you will chase down a sexual encounter as a poor substitute for agape love, which is God's best. And so women will give love, or give sex to gain love, and men will give love to gain sex. And we have this game going around and around amongst the young people today because people want love. And they want acceptance. And so you will go after that pursuit to find any lover. And, and some of us, we, we take this, this extreme approach with erotic love. Once I get married, then I will feel totally loved and totally accepted for the rest of my life. No, you won't. Because we all know that love is blind. But marriage is an eye-opener. Amen, somebody. It's going to make you realize that no, there is no Brad Pitt awaiting you to meet your every emotional need. 
And by the way, when I say marriage is an eye opener, it opens your eyes on you too. It tells you, look at your deficiencies. Do you see? You're rude, you're arrogant, you're proud, you're selfish. That's what happens. In fact, I like to think marriage is like God's um, AP course for discipleship. You, you know what I'm talking about? For character change. You want your character to change? Get married. Because that's going to be the, the, the fire of God's furnace burning away from you. All the impurities of your character. So we, but we would chase that, that love for acceptance and for approval. Some of us do this religiously. We will do it with faith. We will base God's love on what we do. And we will try to be really, really good people. Because if we're really, really good people, then God will love us. And I, I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray a lot and I do all these things. And that means that God loves me more than you. Or God really, really is pleased with me. And all those kinds of seeking after, all that kind of love falls short of what the gospel says about the love and acceptance that we need. Because the gospel says three things, and I want to close with these. Number one, the gospel declares that God chose you. The gospel declares God chose you. You did not choose God. God chose you. You say, well, where is that in the Bible? Jo Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. The fact that you have your heart enlightened to the love of God is God's grace and God's mercy to you. And so he saw you and he picked you up and he chose you and he plants you in his family and he loves you with an everlasting love and he has chosen to adopt you into his family. Number two, God chose you to love you. Isn't that good news? He chose you to love you. The Bible says over and over again that how God's love supersedes our understanding. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, In love He predestined us. He chose us because of love. And He adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. John chapter 15 verse 9 says, Jesus says, I have loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourself at home in my love. The gospel declares that God chose us. The gospel declares that God chose us to love us. And the gospel declares, number three, that God's love is enough. And until we understand that, listen to me very closely. Until you really grasp that God's love is enough, you will forever be a broken-hearted person. Because God comes into your life to heal you and make you realize. Here's what you realize when you get this in your heart. God's love has nothing to do with what you've done. It wasn't like God was up in heaven scratching his head saying, Who should I love? I think I'll pick him. He's pretty good. He looks all right. She's cool. I'll take him. You know, no. God chose in his mercy to love us, not because of what you've done, not because you've been really, really good, but because he's God and he's sovereign and he loves you because it's his choice. 
Guess what that does? That eliminates the need to perform for his love. It eliminates the need to find value in other people's applause, in people saying you're wonderful, in people talking well of you. Because when you know that God loves you unconditionally, it doesn't matter what other people say about you. How could Jesus walk through this earth and have people hate him and spit on him and die on the cross and be nailed to that cross by people that he was doing it for and not get down about it? Here's how he was made perfected in the love of his father and he knew that as long as God loved him, it doesn't matter who hated him. And that's the truth for you. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 27 verse 10. It says, uh, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Some of you, that's your story. That's your testimony. Your mom was not there. Your dad was not there. They left you. And they should have been there. And I agree, they should have been there. But they weren't. But the good news is this. Even though they're not there, God's there. And he chooses to love you. And reveal his son to you. Jeremiah 30, 17 says, I will give you back your health. I will heal your wounds for you were called an outcast. In other words, other people said you were an outcast. Other people said you were no good. Other people said you were terrible. But God says, I will call you back to me and I will heal your wounds and I will give you health back to your bones. That the, the love of God is healing. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he says, and so so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. Two questions. Do you know the love that God has for you? Second question. Are you relying on that to give you the value and the support and the strength that you need in this life? Because at the end of the day, that's all that we need to accomplish God's purposes on this earth and become who he wants us to be. Now, I am fully aware that a 35-minute sermon telling you that God's love is all that you need is not going to heal every single heart wound and every single pain that you feel. But I can guarantee you this. It's the first step. It's the first step. Some of you got to wrestle out some issues with God's love. You got to wrestle out the idea that God was not, is not like your earthly father. Or, or, or God is not like your earthly mother. That his love is perfect. And some of you have no idea what that means. Here's what it means. Here's what it means. It doesn't change. Do you know why it doesn't change? It doesn't have to change. It's perfect. See, when something's perfect, you don't need to change. You know, you've heard that sarcastic comment. I love you, you're perfect, now change. We've heard that, right? You know? God's love is perfect. It doesn't need to change. God is perfect. He doesn't need to change. It's perfect love. And it is unchanging. And no matter what you do or what anybody else does to you or what happens in the world, God's love for you remains the same. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this together. One of my favorite verses of Scripture. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, 
neither height nor depth nor anything else. Just in case I've left something else out, he says, nothing else at all nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God has chosen to love you, you can take it to the bank. Nothing, absolutely nothing that you do or other people do will ever change the love God has for you. Knowing that heals our hearts. But some of us have to wrestle that out. And some of us have to pray. God, give me eyes to see your love for me. As the 